everybody, I'm Nicholas Henny. I'm the CEO and co-founder of a startup, a young sustainable clothing brand that plants one tree for each product that we sell. But I'm not here today to talk about sustainability or tree planting. I'm here to talk about how to build a business without investors. I'm talking about that because I built my business with only 5,000 francs and we don't have any investors up to this point. So two things I want to tell you before I start talking about my tips. The first thing is, we never had a business plan and never needed one. So that's one thing I want to tell you, just start without the business plan. The second thing is that the five tips I'm going to give you now are actually pretty basic and simple and might seem obvious to most of you. But I'm trying to go on putting it into context that you see some examples of how we dealt with that. So the first tip is actually pretty simple. It is, it's not about the idea, it's about the implementation. What I mean with that is that a lot of times people come to me telling me, hey, I want to start my own business, but I don't have the idea, I don't know what to do. But the thing that I'm telling them then is that they don't need a great idea. It's not about the idea that they're successful, it's about the implementation. So you don't need a great idea to start and neither to be successful. I want to give you now three examples of companies that exactly did that. The first example is actually a pretty famous one. It's of actually the biggest social network in the world. It's Facebook. Facebook, when it started, it was a terrible idea, in my opinion. They wanted to build a social, a social network, which at that point was already pretty a bad idea because MySpace was huge. MySpace dominated it. Facebook also only started with Harvard students, but after time, they started to implement it better, have better ideas, improved it, and now they're one of the biggest companies in the world. The second tip might be a little bit less, or example, might be a little bit less famous. It's Lyft. Lyft is basically the same as Uber. Uber started in the States, and actually everybody knows what Uber is now. So Lyft took the same idea, and usually it's a bad idea just to copy someone, but they did it better. They implemented the stuff better. In the process, they did certain things better. Now in certain cities, they're actually bigger than Uber. Then the third example is maybe the most famous one. It's Google. Google was not the first search engine. It was not the great idea to just do another search engine when they started. But as you know, they improved their algorithm better, their search engine is better, and now they're the biggest one in the world. So all of them actually just started with not a very great idea, but implemented much better. So just do something. It's not about the idea, it's about the implementation. Now let me go over to the second tip. And the second tip is to not strive for perfection. So, what I mean with that is, when you start a business, you usually don't really have a lot of money. You cannot afford the people that are the experts to either work for you or pay them that they consult you and help you. So it means you have to do everything yourself and uh, that's not always that easy. So let me give you actually four personal examples of how we did that. So the first one, the first example is of our first t-shirt that we had. The first t-shirts were from Asia and only then we shifted it to Europe. But we didn't know that the sizes from Asia are totally different from European sizes. So our XL was actually more like an M and customers were not that happy about it. However, we sold the product, we got feedback, we learned about it. And by that we got better and better and better. And it was much better just do it and sell it. And by that have a faster learning phase. So that was already very important. Now, the second example is... is of our first photo shooting in Switzerland where we started to take product pictures for ourselves. 
We didn't have money to pay a photographer. We were thinking of it, but it was just way too expensive. So our setup that you can see is only like $30. The lamp was from a local construction site. The camera was borrowed from a friend. The thing I have in my hand in the picture is styrofoam. And the thing in the background, this is actually the only thing that cost us $30. The pictures were not great, but they were good enough to start. And by that, we got, again, feedback. We learned and we were faster than like others who waited for perfect uh, pictures. So now the third thing is Instagram post from us in the beginning. If you look at it, it looks pretty horrible in my opinion. But we posted more, uh, more than other companies. We had a higher posting frequency. We got by that more engagement, more comments, more likes, more everything. And in the end, we actually won by that. We also learned which posts work well, which not. And it was just more important to just do it rather than waiting for the perfect post. Now the last example is actually my favorite example because it's our first towel that we had. Our first towel though had a problem. When you went to the beach or to the local swimming pool and you were lying on the grass or on the beach and you took it up the towel, you basically ripped away all the leaves and all the grass so it took away almost the whole forest. That was horrible. Customers hated it, but some actually liked it. But nevertheless, we learned from it. We learned more about material. The next one was much better. And again, we sold it. We got some more customers and so on. And that was super important. Do not wait for the perfect product to just do it. Now the third tip. The third tip is also pretty obvious and many people of you know that probably, but it's ask for help. A lot of times we just ask people, be it people we know, be it complete strangers, if they could help us in something. And you'll be amazed at how many people actually want to help, how much good there's out there. And also don't forget, the worst thing that can happen is when you ask, you just get a no. So let me give you two examples of which the first one is more of a personal one. In the picture you can see the parents of my co-founder. In the beginning we had a lot of demand for our winter hats, so we asked him if it could help us actually manufacture them. So you see them stitching the labels onto the winter hats. They also packed uh, until 3 in the morning our orders, and also we asked friends if they could help us. And all of them helped us for free, so you just have to ask. But it's not only about people you know, it's also about complete strangers. So the next example shows a situation when we moved into a new office and we need new furniture. We thought that it might be uh, that it would make more sense to actually use used furniture so we asked if some people have it in the cellar because all of you probably also have some furniture they don't use in their cellar. So 17 people commented, 20 people direct messaged me and in the end we had more offers for good furniture than we actually needed. So this actually shows that in the end you just have to ask. The worst thing you can get is a no. And if you don't know how to ask the right people, go on LinkedIn, Google it. There's many, many, many places where you can find out who to ask in the end. Now the next tip. Also a simple one, but if you don't have a lot of money and you're starting your own business, super important. It's be flexible. And by flexible, I mean be really, really, really flexible. It's again the same story. You cannot hire people that are doing the hard work for you. You cannot hire people that do 24-7 customer service for you. You have to do most of the things yourself in the beginning. So I'll also give you examples. The first example is an example of our first meetings. We did not have an office. We did not have the money to rent one. So we had to do meetings in bars or restaurants. We did that either before our regular jobs or studies or afterwards. As you can see in the picture, it was, of course, afterwards now in this situation. And we did that for around one and a half years until we could actually afford our first real office. Now, the next example is, if you look at the picture, it's a toilet. And you must, might ask yourselves, why the hell is the toilet in the picture? 
So that was a place where I had to work a lot. It was super important for me. It is because we did customer service ourselves. And when you got a customer service request, you had to answer it pretty fast. So I used these five minutes doing whatever people do in the toilet to tell customers, yes, you can send back the package, and yes, we're going to send you another one. I did that all the time. I had to, as well as using five minutes on the bus to write an email. And these minutes and this flexibility really, really matters in the beginning. So now, going to the last tip. The last tip is that you should read the best book in the world. A lot of times I get asked by people, how do I do marketing? How do I find a supplier? How do I do video editing? How do I do this, that, or this? And first of all, if you go back to tip number three, of course I help them in that moment. But at the same time, I also tell them, hey, read the best book in the world because it's all in there. And so the best book in the world is Google. As simple as it might sound, but all the things you want to know, they're on Google. Google how to build a sustainable business. Google how to do Facebook ads. How to have a sustainable clothing brand and so on. And it's almost all written in there. Of course, if at some point you have a list of 20 things and you know these things you have to do, then it might help if you ask someone with experience to tell you on what to focus. But then go back to tip number three again, which is asking. And they then might ask you or might tell you what you have to do in that moment. So that's it. These are my five basic tips. And just one more message I would like to give you is, if you really want to do something, you don't need a great idea, just do it. If you just go out there and do it, remember this, that you're already ahead of 99% of all potential entrepreneurs. And so it's basically just about doing it and everything else comes in the process and implementation. So thank you very much for your attention. people welcome back to the channel it's fantastic to see you once again if you clicked on this video chances are you either have a podcast or you're thinking about starting one and you're starting to get to thinking about how you can grow that show into a success so you're looking to get more listeners and increase the likelihood that you can make money and make the show more sustainable going forward so if those are your goals you're in the perfect place because throughout this video i'm going to outline some things that you definitely want to consider to ensure that you're in the right lane and on the path to success and then also outline some strategies that you likely want to implement to increase the likelihood that your ideal listener can find you and start to consume your podcast. So let's get right into it. Let's help you grow your podcast and let's make this a success. Let's do it. So for anybody who may be coming across my channel for the first time, my name is Ben. I make weekly videos on the subjects of podcasting and social media to help you level up and increase your presence. So if you're interested in any of that, be sure to click subscribe and then also the bell button right beside it so you're notified for future videos that can help you crush it. So where I want to start this whole video off is with some questions or some exercises for you to run through to make sure you're in the right lane. So one, what is the goal of your show? What is the reason for the podcast's existence? I want you to be able to actually answer that. The second is who is your ideal listener? To answer this question, I want you to actually create the ideal listener profile. So what are their interests? What are their struggles? What are they passionate about? 
What are they thinking about? What are their goals? All those things, I want you to actually break that down because that's going to make targeting a lot easier moving forward. If you're unable to answer those two questions, what's the goal of your show and who is the ideal listener, then having any lofty goals of huge listener numbers is pretty unrealistic because you don't even know who you're speaking to. So it's very important to have this figured out and to be able to answer these in a pretty precise and succinct manner to ensure that you have the best grasp as to who you're trying to talk to. So by having the best understanding possible as to who exactly you're trying to speak to, it's going to make creating content and serving that type of person substantially easier going forward. What it also allows you to do is to determine the size of that potential market. So how many of those ideal listeners are actually out there? That's super important to know because these numbers are going to allow you to set realistic expectations for yourself. And so many people leave podcasting or end up quitting because of not reaching their own expectations that they may have set without having any idea as to if they were even possible. So very important to understand these things as early as possible. If you've already started your show, these are definitely exercises you can still go through and I highly advocate so that you can ensure that you're in the right path, the right lane, and targeting the right people. So after you've figured out exactly why your show exists and who exactly it's for, I then want you to go see how many of these people exist. So you can do this pretty easily by going to Facebook groups that are aligned with the niche, Instagram pages, tons of different online communities. Go see how many people there actually are out there to then allow you to set realistic goals. If through doing this, you find that your potential audience is very, very small, don't let that discourage you. You can still serve a very small audience and be profitable. It's just important to understand these numbers so moving forward, you have a better bearing as to what success looks like in your niche. So in the previous step, I asked you to go figure out how many people there are in this potential audience by seeking out different Facebook groups, different online communities on Instagram, whatever it may be. I then want you to become very familiar with these different communities. The reason why I want you to do this is because this is where your ideal listener hangs out. This is where you can speak to them directly one-on-one. And that's incredibly valuable because it's going to maximize all the effort that we're going to outline going forward. So I want you to join Facebook communities related to your niche, follow Instagram pages, subscribe to YouTubers, maybe it's even on Reddit, join different threads there. Wherever you can be that's related to your niche, I want you to join as many of those communities as possible and become consumed with all of that type of content and who is consuming that content. Okay, so you've now found all these online groups and communities, you're now involved with them. The next step is to interact with as many people as possible. Ideally, if you run a podcast, it should be on a subject that you're an expert in or or very knowledgeable about. And since you're in these groups related to that niche, you are a great resource in these communities to provide value, answer questions, solve problems, whatever it may be. And what I want you to do is do that as often as possible. Be very active in these communities, constantly replying to questions, providing value as much as possible. Being a genuine resource. So providing value, not shamelessly plugging your podcast. This will continue as you build more relationships with more and more people, you'll become a resource in these communities. And oftentimes when questions get posed, people will tag you because they know you're a resource and an asset to answer questions because you've done so so many times in the past. So this is using the jab, jab, right hook principle, which Gary Vee wrote an entire book on. So what you're going to do is provide value, provide value, provide value, build a rapport with all these people in this group, build a name for yourself within this community, and then direct them back to your podcast saying that this is where you can further educate yourself, get more of this kind of content that's related to the things you know they're interested in because they're in these groups. So as you build more credibility in this space, 
space, they're going to want more and you can direct them more in an organic way through the interactions and the relationships that you build in these specific online communities about your niche. So this is very powerful and it's kind of the modern day word of mouth advertising at scale that is entirely possible because of the internet. So think about these different groups and communities as almost online conferences where if you would think back in the day and still goes on today conferences where people with similar interests or all in the same profession would meet and congregate to interact and provide value to one another this happens in real time online in all of these groups and you have the same networking opportunity but at scale because you can do it all with thousands or millions of people from your computer another great thing about online communities is that the value you provide is available to everyone in the group because they can see the post or the thread whatever it may be so you're able to reach so many more people with the same amount of effort that used to be just one-to-one. -one. So this is where I want you to start and spend the bulk of your time assimilating yourself and connecting with your ideal listeners and becoming a staple and a constant resource within these communities. So what I just outlined is completely free and organic and it will definitely bring you success the more that you do it, but it does take some time to get going. So if you have no budget, I would invest as much time doing that as physically possible. But if you do have a budget, you can definitely expedite the process with some paid advertising. So when it comes to paid advertising, the usual suspects can all be leveraged. So Facebook, Instagram, Google, you can actually target to people's Gmail, you can use Snapchat, you can use it on Spotify. If you're gonna try paid advertising, I definitely encourage experimentation. So that comes in terms of different copy, different platforms, just doing as many things as possible to see what works. And since you have your breakdown of your ideal listener, it's gonna make targeting on all these different platforms substantially easier. So those are gonna be your obvious conventional paid advertising mediums, but you can also get a lot more creative to leverage different things through paid means. Another opportunity you may want to consider is leveraging influencer marketing. So what this is, is using someone's influence, so their following, their connection with their community, and leveraging that to help drive traffic to your podcast. So this may be in the form of direct promotion, where they may post about it on their story, or on their feed, on either Instagram, YouTube, whatever it may be. Or what I advocate even more is by having them on your show, and also doing that stuff to posting about it on their social platforms. So definitely try to get them on your show for free, reach out to them and try to get them on your show with no Cost, but some people may not be willing to do it unless paid for. But if they have a very big audience or a big audience relative to your niche and your potential audience, they may be worth the investment to have on your show as they will bring their following along with them by sharing it on their social channels as well as sharing their story or their expertise on your show. Influencer marketing can be very, very powerful and you don't have to have huge, huge numbers of followers for the power of influence to be had on social media. You're more looking for the connection they have with their audience and how tightly connected they are to your niche. Those are the two important things that you definitely want to hammer out if you're going to use influencer marketing of any kind, even beyond podcasts. It's all about the connection to their audience and the connection to your niche. Those are paramount. So after hearing that, that's some more homework for you. Write down a list of as many people fit those categories as possible. Then reach out to them. Try to get them on for free. If that fails, try to broker a deal that works both sides. Another great form of advertising that you may want to leverage that does come at a cost is through running giveaways. So these can be run on your own channels, whether it be on Instagram, YouTube, whatever it may be. Or you can also pay to promote them to get even more increased exposure. But how you maximize a giveaway and ensure that it's bringing in as many ideal listeners as possible is by making the giveaway substantially more targeted. So how I can explain this is through giving you examples. So say you were running a Michigan football podcast and you were looking to target as many Michigan football fans as possible and make them aware of your show. What you would want to do is give away Michigan 
football ticket instead of just a gift card or cash, whatever it may be, by making it substantially more targeted, all the people that are going to be involved and sharing it with their communities are going to be people directly interested in your niche. And the great thing about that is because the snowball effect of that is huge. People hang out with people with similar interests. So when one person who's your ideal listener shares the giveaway, so does the next person, the next person, the next person, because they're all super interested in what you're talking about, the subject matter of your show. So they all become extremely excited by the giveaway. They're all sharing it, promoting it on their social channels to more people with similar interests. And because your show is related to a topic which they're very interested in, they're very likely to check out your show. And since it's subject matter they like, they're likely to subscribe and become a listener. So giveaways are great, but targeted giveaways with some thought are substantially more impactful. So think about that. How could you target your giveaway? What type of product or service could you provide to help bring as many ideal listeners as possible and leverage their networks of more of similar people? So I have two more tips for you that can definitely help grow your podcast. But before we continue, I have some requests for you. The first being Take two seconds if you're learning something new and smash the like button. Helps me out a ton. My second request is go check out my podcast called Project Passion. It'll be linked in the description box down below. The premise of the show over there is I interview people who have built careers and lifestyles all around their passions to capture their tactics, their failures, their stories to help you do the same and bring more passion to your life. So go check it out. It's linked down below. I just relaunched it and there's a ton of great content coming there. Thank you in advance from the bottom of my heart for doing both. I love you. The next thing you definitely want to do is to watch your analytics. This is something I stress regardless of what platform you're trying to grow on, but it's because it's so important. I encourage experimentation as much as possible, but tracking the performance of experimentation is how you actually get benefit from it. Analytics allow you to see how different things perform. So when you try something new or you try a different kind of guest, I want you to document that and see how your audience reacts to it. You want to equip yourself with as much information as possible to provide as much value and as much things that your audience resonates with as possible. I love my host Buzzsprout because they provide a great analytics suite which provides me a ton of ammunition to ensure I'm doing the right things time and time again that my audience likes, that keeps them coming back, and that allows me to make the show even greater as time goes on. So regardless of what host you use, you definitely want to take the time, invest into your analytics, become very comfortable with the back end, and figure out what works. You will thank me later for doing that. The more you know, the more likely you are to find success and increase the size and potential of your show. So do it up. And the most important thing that you want to do, which I'm sure you've heard a hundred times over, is to remain consistent. As we all know, podcasting is becoming increasingly more competitive. All these strategies, which I've outlined, they all take time, but they all have a compounding effect. The more that you do each one of them, the more that they're going to serve you as time goes on. So if you don't remain consistent, improving your processes, improving your ability to connect with your audience, you won't get the dividends of what you're investing now if you don't continue to do them. So be very committed to it and understand understand that coming into it that this is a long-term game and you're going to have to ride it ride it out and be consistent luckily this is likely on a subject you're very passionate about so this won't feel like work but ensure that you you remain consistent so that people know that they can continue to come back 
and allow the snowball to grow and grow and grow and to build the show and the audience that you're looking for. Once again, if you are new here and you're looking to grow your podcast, be sure to subscribe and hit the bell button. And after you're done that, go check out the other videos on my channel. I have a ton. everybody. I hope you enjoyed this episode brought to you by our sponsors at Blinkist. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Impact Theory. I am here with somebody who I think you guys are going to have your minds blown by, Vusi Tembekweo. Vusi, welcome to the show, man. I am beyond excited to spend this time with you. Brother Billy, this is incredible. It's a dream come true. Thanks for having me. Dude, for sure. So in researching you, man, I really had my mind blown I am very impressed with your ability to generate success, even in a system that you could argue is pretty problematic, possibly even broken, and yet you've had this extraordinary level of success, watching your father killed in front of you when you were 13, um, having to drop out of college at one point because you couldn't afford it, um, growing up and starting a business as a black man in recently just out of apartheid South Africa. I mean, these are pretty hardcore circumstances. And yet, you sit here as somebody who has had extraordinary success. So given that people often reach for that excuse of the world's against me, you know, the system is set up to see me fail, what is it about you or the way that you think that has allowed you to be successful despite all of that madness? I think... Um... So I live by two core principles, right? The first is that everything everyone knows, they learned. And I don't accept that I'm less intelligent than the next person, which means I can learn it too, right? Um, the second is that every single excuse I have is valid. But that's still not going to give me the results that I want. And so we do live in this really uh, uh, PC culture today um, um, where People are looking for the excuse. And the truth is, the excuse is completely valid. Yes, you are a young black person growing up in democratic South Africa for the past 26 years, but for hundreds of years before that, it wasn't built for you to succeed, right? Yes, you're living in one of the most difficult credit capital markets in the world, so it's hard to get access to funding to start a business. Yeah, all of that stuff's true, but that's still not going to change your circumstance. So, so... The test is not whether or not you know the, the reasons for not succeeding. The test is whether or not you're willing to do whatever it takes to get to that next level. And a big part of the whatever it takes actually is just remain teachable. Just just be a student, a student of the game, a student of life, a student of those who've achieved. Um, and I found that those two things have really stood me in good stead. Dude, what you said about excuses being valid, I think that's really important for people to understand. I've always said that the most sinister thing about excuses is that they're real. Like, you really do have reasons not to be successful, but now what? Like, now what? Now what are you going to do? Like, um, I remember I was giving a talk um, at Google, and one of the guys happened to be African-American. And he said, Tom, do you think it's harder for me as a black person in America to succeed? And I said, that seems 
patently self-evident. Even even just accepting that humans tend to gravitate towards those that look like them, what I call the school of fish phenomenon. You always see the same kind of fish with the same kind of fish. So being a minority just by definition is going to make things harder. But now what? Like now you can take that excuse and give yourself an out to not try, to not get started, which is something you talk a lot about. Or you can say, regardless of that, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get where I want to go. Now, how do you, how have you, Vusi, cultivated that mentality? When your father was killed, easy moment to give up, to turn to violence, to be angry, to be bitter. When you had yeah. to drop out of school, a reason, again, to just be angry, to be bitter. What, what are you telling yourself that allows you to go, okay, cool, this is my circumstance, but I know what I want? So first, just to make the admission that I do get pissed. And I'm very real and raw at that emotion, right? So I, 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 I recognize the imbalance that the world we live in has. But I also recognize that those imbalances are man-made, Tom. And they were, they were created by people who precede us, who had a particular view of the world. And, um, and my role is to shift people's views and perspective, right? So that's literally what I do when I'm on a platform. I'm just there to help you see the world differently than how you've seen it before. That's it. Now, what are some, what are some of the, just... the key attributes to that? So you gave us one, which so, is excuses are valid. So what? What are some other core tenets? Yeah. So the first one is excuses are valid. The second one is your reality is your reality. So you're not imagining it. You're not imagining that you're poor. You're not imagining that you're left out because you live in a third world country. You're not imagining that you're not getting the right quality of education to make you globally competitive. You're not imagining that. That shit's real, right? Okay, but now that you've got it, you can live in the emotion. And sometimes I do. I get really, really mad and really, really upset. But then the following morning comes and you realize that you've moved not an inch of distance, yet you've expanded all of this time and this emotion. I mean... Right now, if you think about the world we live in, just think about how much hatred there is. Think about how much anger there is. And yet we're not moving. So I, what really pulls me out of it, and it's an honest conversation with me, is I go, do you want the emotion or do you want progress? Because you can't have both. Oh, shit. Right? Go, go deeper on that. Right? That's crazy. So, you just gave me the chills. I'll give you an example. You're at the gym, right? You're curling. You're rep eight. And your body starts to fire off those signals in your brain and it goes, stop, it hurts. If you stop, you get the emotion. You don't get the progress. So if you talk to any decent athlete, they'll tell you that where the pain stop starts is when the work starts, right? Talk to any decent entrepreneur that's built a large-scale business. They'll tell you the shit they had to go through. So you either get the emotion or you get the progress, but you can't have both, right? We're living in this world today where everybody is just so deeply embedded in the emotion. I want to be angry at Tom because he's X, Y, and Z, and I want to be angry at Vusi because, yeah, yet you make no progress. So yours and my challenge, I think, as a generation is how do we give the world progress? And, and finally, you asked me, so the question around, so how do you get over that, right? So here's the final bit is I recognize that my generation has it the easiest. Like, I think we forget, actually, that our generation probably has it the easiest in the history of Homo sapiens on this little rock called planet Earth. In my generation's tone, if I say something that's politically incorrect, I might trend on Twitter. If my grandfather said something politically incorrect, he would have been killed or landed up in jail. 
So, so sometimes we, we've, we've lost a sense of perspective, right, around it's not easy, but damn, it's much easier than it's ever been. And, and you have a responsibility to own your progress. You can either own the emotion of progress, but you don't get both. Dude, so if I, I am willing to take up that mantle with you and say that our obligation is to help people progress, um, this is exactly why when Lisa and I um, exited our last company, we didn't just retire. We wanted to double down um, and do something that really mattered. And a lot of I'll, I'll say that the very animus, the thing that animates me and keeps me going is having worked in the inner cities and seeing that there were these extraordinary people, um, meaning meaning that they, they could become extraordinary, right? They had all the raw materials, but they were never going to because they didn't know how to progress to use your language. And so we thought, okay, this really is teachable, going back to your point about this stuff is man-made. So if, if we can make this world, then we can certainly make a different world. If I'm prepared to take up that mantle, what is it that I actually need to do? What is it I need to mm -hmm. convince people of? What are the actions I need to take? Um, I know that you're really focused on education, but what are you actually trying to teach? Like, how do people make progress? So, whoo, see, this is why I'm a fan of the show, is because the questions you ask, is, damn, how did Tom go there? So, um, the hardest thing to do is to is to enable people to see themselves as they are. Not as they hoped they were, not as they've been taught they are, but as they actually are. It's the single hardest thing to do, and I'll tell you why. Because we're all embedded in this construct of a thing called identity, right? And so, and what people forget is identity by its very nature, one is man-made and two is exclusive. What that means is, the minute I say I'm male, it means I'm not female. If I say I'm black, it means I'm not white. If I say I'm African, it means I'm not American. If I say I am, you know, educated, it means I'm not illiterate. So all the little words we use to construct identity put us in a box. They don't free us, right? And it's something people, I think, don't think about because people today have assumed an identity for who they are. And it's, it's all over, right? It's in the media, it's on social media, it's on TV, it's in the newspapers, it's in in music videos, all you're being sold is an identity. This is what you should be based on where you come from and based on how you've been socialized. Very early on, my father taught me that I didn't have to be what society told me, right? That I could be different if I wanted to. I want to put that in context and see if I'm understanding what you're saying. So um, I read Nelson Mandela's Long Walk to Freedom. It fucked with me, dude. That book is so good. <laughs> I, I, like when every second I think I'm a badass and then I remember that the man faced 27 years in prison and refused to compromise his principles. I'm just not that hardcore. And yeah. like, so that, that shit is phenomenal. And I remember him saying in the book, he was like, this, this is Nelson Mandela talking. He said, I got on an airplane and the pilot was black. And for a minute I was scared because I didn't think black people could fly a plane. And he was like, what the fuck? Like, how do I think that? And he said, if that had seeped into my mind, identity, right, then how many other people had accepted something less than who they were because of what society had told them? Is that what you mean, that we're sort of subtly taking on these I can'ts, I can'ts, I can'ts? Exactly. So um, here's a great example. I'm short, therefore I can't model. Okay? I mean, it's not, it's not established that short people should model. Whether you should or whether you can are very different tests, right? Um, and by the way, I approach 
every little thing in my life like that. Like, if all the shit I do, I go, I shouldn't, but it doesn't mean I can't. There's a big fucking difference. So if you're telling me I shouldn't be in the room, you may be correct. It doesn't mean I don't have the capacity to be in the room. I want to force my way in. And I'm going to get to change your mind. So this thing about identity, I think, is so powerful because in today's world where we've, you know, we're no longer demographics. We're a psychographic now. There is a kid living in Kuala Lumpur who's never been out of Kuala Lumpur who sounds like a kid in Brooklyn, New York, because he's watching Jay-Z on, on YouTube. But he, so he's completely immersed in that culture and he's never left his small little village, right? And that's exactly the point is everything you've been taught you are, somebody taught you that's what you are. Now, you can keep that identity, but again, you can't get the progress. And so what a lot of people do is they hang on to it, right? In South Africa, it's, um, it's often about gender. Sometimes it's about tribe. Right, so what tribe you come from there's a big generation issue so it's i'm part of it this generation yeah all those things are true but do you want the identity or do you want the progress because you can't have both um i'll tell you just quickly a, a story so my dad was the sensei in the dojo right and i used to train with my dad in the dojo and so i asked him one time i was like how come we get to change belts like i mean couldn't you teach the methodology without the belt system he said two things. He said, first, human beings are incentive-based, so you need something to aim for. But he said, the second thing is the reason we give you a belt is because it assigns an identity. Now, it doesn't mean that if you're orange belt, you can't take on a brown belt. It's just you embed that in your mind, and you go, well, he's senior then, therefore. So one of the things he said to me, one of the things you're going to have to learn is that real life doesn't have a belt system. So everything we know and have learned about identity is given to us. It's a it's a template that somebody has given you. And you can just choose to run that script of Macross or not. Man, identity is, I think, the the linchpin. So I'm gonna put my finger on the most inflammatory thing I've ever heard you say. And we're we're just gonna go straight there. Because I think if people can go past the emotion and get to what you're saying, there's a breakthrough that applies to everybody. But the the most inflammatory thing I ever heard you say is that and I'm assuming, actually, I think you were talking worldwide. You will correct me. But you said black people were not ready for freedom. And I was like, oh, shit. And Shel <laughs> there, there's a guy in America. His name is Shelby Steele, who said the same thing. And I remember I almost like coughed. I, I could not believe that he was saying that. And your initial reaction is like, what the fuck? What are you talking about? So what were you talking about? What do you mean? Because I know, dude, you are coming from a beautiful place. But I have to imagine when people hear you say that, they freak out. What do you mean? Yeah, I mean, I, I got to tell you, so there was, that's such an incredible, that was such an important moment and statement because, so there was a context within which I said it and I was giving a masterclass as I do and, and I made that statement and it was probably out on YouTube for two years. As these things are, they're just there, kind of bubbling and simmering along. And then somebody went and found it on YouTube, clipped that video and put it on Twitter, and it just exploded, right? So I think the language is important here. I'm not saying black people don't deserve freedom. I think that's an important point to make. First of all, freedom isn't something you deserve. It's a God-given right. It's like breathing, right? So you shouldn't have to justify why you deserve to be free. And often people that approach that conversation heard me to say, black people don't deserve freedom. And I'm going, no, 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 no. The idea that you deserve it means there's something you have to do to earn it. 
which by itself is fallacious. There is nothing you have to do to earn the right, as Tom Bill, you to self-determine. You get to self-determine. That's your human right, right? That said, if you accept, and we all do, that there have been hundreds of years of structural um, uh, exclusion and oppression, not only of the black body, but of the black mind, most importantly, the black mind. Nelson Mandela sitting on the plane going, holy shit, there's a black pilot, right? This is the father of our democracy, himself being caught in that trap. But he had to be wise enough and smart enough to step out of that comment in his head and see that comment in the context of the moment. So when I'm saying we weren't ready for freedom, what I mean is we got it, but we haven't freed our minds, right? So what we're doing is we're defaulting to the reasons and excuses we had pre-freedom for why we're not doing the shit we should be doing in freedom now. So the oldest, the oldest, most independent country in Africa, I think, is Ghana, I think. And it's probably been independent for over 60 years, right? But if you track the trajectory of where that country has gone, if you go to Haiti, and of course there are several structural issues around the relationship Haiti has with Europe and with France, but if you go to Haiti, and if you go to Zimbabwe, just north of here, so who's Zimbabwe going to blame? That's really a question, because what happens is we've put these people in positions of power and leadership whose mindset was not in disentangled from the way things used to be. So they bring an oppressed mind into a freedom construct. Then they act like oppressed people, and we wonder why the results are the way they are. KRS-One said it the most beautiful way. In one of his raps, he said, he said, as black people, we need to be free people, not freed people. Sure. And the, and the point there is, the point of departure is when you're free, you don't find the need to explain your freedom. You just are, right? Um, and so that's where the comment was coming from. Was, And it was a reflection. was, okay, so we got it. But were we ready for it? Are we using it to the best of its ability, this incredible freedom that we enjoy? Are we really being transformative? Are we being imaginative? Are we doing new great and powerful things are we being a generation that our children's children will look at and go those guys had the right template they got it right right or not and it's a question we have to answer every single day yes it is interesting so because of my experience i think of the same problem but i don't think of it along racial lines i think of it along um economic is probably the closest thing so work, working in yeah. the inner cities i realized white hispanic black didn't matter people had been told things like i remember one kid coming to me happened to be hispanic and he said my mom does not want to see me succeed and i thought what the fuck like i actually understand why she's saying that she's trying to say look this is going to be hard for you um there there are difficulties you will face that other people will not face and so I know where she was trying to go. It was like trying to sort of soothe him for the difficult road ahead. But what it told him was, you don't belong in that room, so don't bother, don't even try. And so I began to obsess with this notion of this, this is a mindset problem. So generational poverty to me is not really a question of money. It will manifest as money. 
but it is a question of mindset. It's a question of how to think. So there are minimum requirements. Anybody watching you that has any bit of sense is going to go, this guy is so fucking eloquent. For sure, his verbal ability has helped him in life. 100%. I, I think they're beyond a doubt. But if somebody has that latent ability that doesn't get it trained, they're not going to end up being able to leverage it as a skill set. There's a guy named Jeffrey Canada, and he was looking at basically how do you give people the right mindset to be successful. He'd grown up in Harlem at like the height of the crack epidemic, and he's just like, fuck, this is atrocious. And what he realized looking at the data was what mattered was the number of words you heard by the age of five and the ratio of positive words to negative words because of what it did to the language centers of your brain and how you spoke in a job interview or in trying to communicate to other people. And so he's like, this is a very complicated problem that has a very simple like linchpin that if you address that, then everything else tumbles from that. And I'll say that one of those things isn't just language, it's just how you think about your place in the world, your identity, and everything sort of keeps coming back to that. Do you agree that the statement that you made about being able to make the most of your freedom centers around how you conceptualize yourself and the world, pointedly identity? 100%, which is why I think the work of our generation today really is around forcing us to to reconstruct these very identities we have. If you think about it, we live in a world today where almost all identities are assumed, right? So the idea, for instance, of masculinity is assumed, all right? Um, the idea of being a strong Zulu man is assumed. There is a there is a script. There is a these are the ways you've got to be this thing, right? And and I didn't get to do the edit. I just got the PDF version, right? But I'm saying if I'm living in a world that is complex and changing. I can't take this PDF script into a new environment. It ain't going to work. So I either get to keep the tradition and the emotion or I get progress, but I can't do both. Right. And, you know, for me, I really used to resent this because I would get chastised. I'd get mocked. I would get attacked. And then I realized that actually I was giving others the permission to be themselves too. Right. So, and that's the most empowering thing that you can do. When you choose to step into no man's land. Meaning saying the things that you're saying? The, yeah, the sort so of inflammatory things? Well, so, so not only saying the things that you're saying, but allowing yourself to, um, to be ventilated. Allowing those thoughts to be discussed and ventilated by people, right? Um, one of the things I had to learn was, as I did it, it was incredible how many other people came out and said, sure. Glad you said it, because I've been thinking, but I couldn't say it. You know, they they lynch me. I was like, wow, man. So, so, so you we're all aware that the script doesn't work, but none of us are willing to say it because they're going to tr- throw us in the proverbial social media concentration camp. Well, that done some right. I mean, that's not progress, right? Final thing, just for you to think about, which is this: what's the worst that can happen? Well, the worst that can happen is you're wrong. Then you're educated, which goes back to where we started at the very beginning, right? Remain teachable. So the worst thing that can happen is you say something, you're wrong, somebody picks up the phone, you're educated, you grow up, and you mature. Um, But I think it's really important. I think this idea of identity is just so powerful. When somebody asks the question, who are you? How do you answer that question, right? Are Are you the job you have? Are you the place you come from? Are you the lineage of your 
of your ancestors? Are you the qualifications? Are you your geography? Who are you, right? And I think a lot of us don't really bother to give that enough thought. I want to go back to this idea of getting started. I think that um, to your point about you get educated, you're wrong, but you figure out that you're wrong, and now you can take a step towards being right. Um, it seems to me that one of the most incredible things about your journey was just a willingness to fail in the beginning, which of course you did. Um, why is it you're so hardcore about that notion of just get started? Because the single most important part of the momentum equation is movement, right? So I'll give you an example. Here's how I explain this to people. So if you're driving your car and for some other strange reason, you know, the car stalls and you're stuck, right? You have one of two things you can do, right? And let's imagine you're in a, you know, you know, cell phone black zone. You can't phone anybody. You have one of two things you can do. Sit in the car, switch on your hazards and pray somebody's going to come past you. That's what we call the charity approach. Hi, I'm here. I grew up poor. I didn't get a good education. Help. It completely gives the power to the person on the other side of the equation, which is the, I feel like I want to help, and here's how much I'm willing to help with, right? Flash the hazards. The alternative is you open the driver's door, you drop the, 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 you drop the handbrake, you put your shoulder behind the chassis, and you push. Now, when you start pushing, the hardest part is going to be that initial meter because the car is completely still. It's got no momentum. So you start pushing. And what happens is five meters down the line, 10 meters down the line, assuming the road is flat, of course, all of a sudden you're not pushing as hard as you were. You're just maintaining momentum. So the reason I always say to people start is because the hardest part is the beginning. My dad used to say to me, you will always be the worst at something the first time you do it. So the results you get the first time you do it are not the true results. That was the worst version of you doing that thing. As first time you sing, first time doing public speaking, you know, first time you try to do a comedy set, first time you do anything is the worst time because you don't have the skill set. But as you do it, what happens is you mature, you get better, and you learn, right? So that's what I mean by that is, is the reason it's important to start is because all of those stories, that self-narrative that you've been saying and toiling in your head, the excuses are valid, the world isn't fair, and but guess what? At the beginning, it is going to be tough, but the, the only way out of it is to start. There is no other way out of it. You can't negotiate with it, right? It's, um, let, me, let me, just one last thing for you to think about. So I said this to an entrepreneur literally today who came to see me about this very thing. And uh, she was saying to me, look, you know, business, it's COVID, it's been a tough time, yada, yada. And I said to her, I said, you know, if you went to, imagine, you know, the Empire State Building. So I said to her, if you went to the top of the building and uh, stood at the ledge, prayed to whichever God you praise, God, Buddha, Allah, and told them that you don't believe in gravity and jumped, you'd find that gravity believes in you, <laughs> right? So, so I was saying to her, the environment in the moment we're in, is gravity. You can't negotiate your way out of it, right? What you can do is you can get started with who you need to be to survive this moment. And what she was doing, which is what I think a lot of people do, is they, they hang on to who they used to be, right? So I used to be, the, well, that's not working anymore. So who do you need to be? Get started on that journey. I really honestly firmly believe in the school of starting. Starting, I think, is often more important in the entire momentum construct than everything that comes after that. 
Dude, your obsession with what works is a shared obsession. I, I, you and I think so much alike that it's scary. You may be the closest person in terms of saying things that like, I've never heard anybody else say that I have either said or have had rattling around in my head for a very long time. Um, and <laughs> that, that idea, like the thing I want to scream at people is for your own sake, do what works. Do what works. Like, I'm not saying it because I get anything out of the equation. I'm just saying, do what works. Look at the data. It's what I call the physics of progress. The physics of progress is basically the scientific method recontextualized for business. You're, you have an informed hypothesis based on your life. Then test that fucking hypothesis by running an experiment, doing something. But then look at the data. Did this actually move me towards what I want, yes or no? And you have a quote. I actually think I wrote this down. Let me pull this up. Um, you said, and I quote, this is Vusi, everybody. Don't give me something out of pity. I don't want pity. Give me something because I'm the best at what I do. Man, talk about pushing the car. Now, what's interesting is as you were saying it, I thought, okay, what people are going to say is, well, Vusi, the, the road isn't flat. This is an uphill battle. That actually isn't true. And the road is malleable. And the road may actually start uphill, but the more you push, even if the car rolls back, you're going to learn something. And now the road flattens. Then you're going to learn something more, and now the road is going downhill. And all of a sudden, you fucking almost can't even keep up. There's so much happening. And it's like, I have the chills. I want people to understand that. Getting good is what matters. Get good. But people, yeah. people take that excuse, and they don't even start pushing the car, which is the thing that freaks me out. Talk to me about martial arts. You're going to be worse when you first start. What is it about martial arts that drew you in and kept you going? Because you've said that you you use martial arts a lot, even now. Yeah, I mean, you know, my so my my um my dad my dad did a style of martial arts called Kyokushinkai, and um and I suppose as a little boy trying to get close to dad, I was like, well, if he's doing it, I'm going to join him. So my dad and I shared this incredible passion of martial arts and cars, right? Um. So I kind of get started, you know, with my father, then he gets gunned down when I'm 13 years old. And I went through like a year of just nothing. I just, I couldn't show up at the dojo. I didn't have it in me. And I did all the things we're talking about. The excuses. At the time, South Africa had a, a particularly high crime problem. And I was like, you know, what's the point? You know, here's a first degree black belt who gets attacked. He get, takes nine bullets and he's dead anyway. Why am I going to this thing called the dojo, right? Again, Excuse is valid. It really is. But there's no progress. So a year, nothing. And then and then I was like, I actually miss it. So I went back. It was interesting when I went back, it wasn't the same. I wasn't doing the kata to impress the senseis anymore. I was doing the kata because I wanted every single movement to be as close to flawless as I could get it. It changed my entire perspective. So and one of the things that happened, you're going to love this. I'm literally getting chills thinking about it. One of the things that happened is time just expanded. So, Because we have a very finite con construct of time. I'm going to be at the dojo for an hour. But what happened was that hour felt like five hours. And sometimes 30 minutes felt like five. All of a sudden, this fixed construct of time, you know, it started to change. Because my relationship with what I was doing changed. So it wasn't just a punch. It wasn't just the kata. I wasn't just, I wasn't just showing up for the emotion. I was embedded in every single part of the process.
I was looking for growth, for progress, right? I have to tell you that changed my entire life. So anytime I find myself stuck now, I, I recognize that the, often the reason I'm stuck is because I'm focusing on the output and I'm not focusing on my input, right? So output, I've got to raise 100 million rand for my business. Output, I've got to get 300% growth for, you know, in customers. Output, I've got to get 25, yeah, that's all output. But what you got to focus on is input. What are the things I've got to do and how do I do those things intentionally, deliberately, and try to get better every single time, every meeting, every impact conversation with one of my staff members, every engagement with a client or a potential client, every single one of those things. How do I focus on that moment? Because actually the output is a sum total of how those things come about. So when you when you are at the dojo and you are being graded and you are going through the process of trying to attain your black belt or your brown belt, that's what everybody sees as the output. But what actually went in was that malleable construct of time where you're trying to perfect every single movement, right? Do you remember what it's happened um, that made you switch over to, now I'm going to do this and try to get perfect? Yeah, I do. Um, <laughs> yeah, so my so my, um, my, my sensei then at the time um, was also a Sifu because he did, a, he did Wing Chun. Sifu Claude, uh, we were kind of, you know, having the conversation. I was like, you know, I want to come back. Yada, yada, fish paste. And um, he started giving me Chinese philosophy to read. And I've never read philosophy before. Do you remember and, what and he books he gave me. you? I can't remember the book, but he would actually, he gave me, the first one he gave me was, a, was like a poem. It was like a, literally an A4 page. And he said to me, this is, this is, uh, you know, first bit of philosophy I'm going to give you. Go read this. And then he said, um, uh, and just stick it on your wall for like three months. And the opening line says, there can be no denying Kung Fu is hard work. Then it says, but as with everything in life, you get out of it exactly what you put in. That's, that line is still entrenched in my head even today. Right? Um, so he gave me that for three months. I just, if I didn't feel like going in, I just read it. read it over and over over and over over and over and then you wake up and you go and then he started maturing me into philosophy so then he'd give me Nietzsche or he'd give me somebody else and what I recognized was that the masters didn't actually focus on output they focused on mastery Right, so Beethoven didn't focus on how does he write the greatest symphony of all time. He just wor worried about the next note, just that next note, and making sure that it was it was melodic, harmonic, and it worked. Right? If you talk to any performer, Boys to Men is my favorite boy band of all time. But if you listen to a decent Boys to Men album, I can tell you for free that they're not focusing on the next song. It's just how do we make this next note and this next harmony work? Right? So in today's world, I think, of Instagram, the World Wide Web, and the pressure of Jeff Bezos being worth $200 billion, and now every single entrepreneur is going, well, I want to be worth $200 billion, is we forget that he's he's just at a very different stage of his momentum journey, right? And so you're, you're not, you know, you're literally to the power of a thousand away from where he is. And so you've got to focus on where you are in that next part of that journey. 
Um, and that for me was probably what was the most incredible part of that part of learning in my life. Man, that that line is great. I know in your some sort of curriculum. Is there like a, a basics that you run people through? For me, it's Mindset 101. I want people to know how to think and how to think about themselves. What are your sort of core basics? Strategy, sales, leadership. And I start first with leadership and particularly self-leadership because that's a big part of the curriculum nobody talks about. So we always think about leadership. We think about the general um, in the army, right? The guy who marshals the troops, the master tactician, um, you know, and I use the word guy very deliberately because that's the, that's the iconography. If I say general, go back to this construct of identity, there's been a picture sold to us of who a general is, right? So we've got this alpha male, um, you know, kind of square cut hair, um, you know, marine looking fella who's like, I'm the general and I'm, and I'm, I'm the boss. I've got all the, so that's what people think about. But I'm more interested in what was that guy thinking the morning he woke up, knowing he's about to send 100,000 young men and women into the field of battle and they might not go home to their families. I'm more interested in that conversation. I'm not interested in how does he show up. I'm interested in what is he telling himself. Because how does he show up is, again, outcome. It's output. We're seeing him standing on the stage, right? But what 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 led to that? How does he have so much self-belief? How does he have so much courage? Even in the face of adversity, how is this guy still believing we can win the war? So we focus a lot on leadership, self-leadership, breaking down narratives. Man, I cannot tell you how many stories have people have in their heads that are deeply embedded that they're not even aware the story is there. They're not aware that the script is playing every single day. And so they're living their lives in autopilot, right? Um, I'll tell you a big one. And I work in the venture space. So a particularly big one in the venture space, particularly in the continent of Africa, is the idea that to get a business started, I need somebody to fund me first. So the first thing I say to entrepreneurs, why? Why do you need a funder? Well, you know, because I go, no, you don't need a funder. You need a customer. Get off your ass, make something, go sell it. See, get started. Now you go, I got the little thing. I go out and I sell it. Somebody pays me a dollar. Oh, okay, great. Can I do it again? Sure. Iterate and iterate and iterate. And before you know it, I've got $1,000 in my bank. So did you need money or did you need a, did you need a customer? Right? But it's narrative. It's these stories that people have told themselves. So you know, the question was, how is our curriculum structured? First, leadership. Self-leadership. Personal leadership. How do you show up to your family? How do you show up to your friends? Um, how do you show up to yourself in the mirror? Because, you know, that moment will come too, right? Where you do something that you know is wrong or you fail or you're not proud of yourself. When you look at you in the mirror, what do you say? Right? Do you give people um, and words thought, that would be effective? No, no. So what we do is we actually do an exercise called so what? So, hey, Tom, you're on impact theory. What would what would your life look like if you lost the business? You go, well, you know, it would look like X, Y, and Z. And I go, and if that's where you were, so what? You go, well, then I'd be, and that's where you were, so what? And what happens is seven or eight so what's later, people get to what is their actual fear. So what? So I'd be poor again, and I don't want that. I remember that. I remember going to bed hungry. I don't want to be poor again. 
Oh, okay. So actually the reason you work like a dog and you don't see your kids and you, you've completely no balance and you're completely overweight is because you're scared of poverty. Just face it. Now you can look it in the face and say, poverty, I'm scared. And there's nothing wrong with admitting that you haven't conquered that fear. Just be aware of it, right? It can be an incredible motivator, but you have to know that it's there. Um, so we focus a lot in the so what technique. And I absolutely, I've seen people break down and cry. Um, you know, we had a, I'll never forget a young lady, one of our classes, and the whole conversation was, how's, you know, how are things going? And she's, and it starts with, yeah, you know, everybody wears the mask, right? Oh, everything's great. Business is good. Nah, 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 nah. And I said, so what's keeping you up at night? Well, you know, I've got this small little worry. Uh-huh. And if that happens, so what? And if that happens, so what? And if that happened, so what? And what it actually came down to was she was a mother of three. She'd conceived children very late in her life and in a marital life. It was a second marriage. And she grew up without parents. And she didn't want to be the mom who would abandon her kids, right? Because she knows what that was like. So that was for her an incredibly scary thing. And she's like, I, I can't, I can't have that. I can't do that. But what she didn't realize it was it was holding her back. So she wasn't growing her business. She wasn't going to the next stage because it would demand more of her. And she didn't want to give that up because of this hidden fear. So strategy uh, leadership for me is important. And then strategy, you just can't operate in a world and not understand how to play a chess game. It doesn't work that way. Um, and you always have to think three steps ahead of your competitors. You've got to think three steps ahead of your market. And you've got to do scenario planning. What happens if scenario A happens, scenario B, and scenario C? How will I react then? And then, as I think this is the most important skill for any human being to learn, is the ability to sell. And I, I don't know why the ability to sell, um, for some of the strange reason, became like a bad thing. You know, we started talking about these used car salesmen. I was just like, well, you know, you're selling yourself every day anyway. You've got to sell yourself to your partner about why they should stay married or in a relationship with you. You've got to sell yourself to you every morning about why you're a kick-ass person, right? Otherwise, you're really going to be grumpy because you don't like yourself. You're selling every, every day anyway. So how do we develop a curriculum that teaches you how to sell in a manner that is true, authentic, and enables you to have an impact in the world, right? Um, and, so, and so those are kind of the three tenets of what we do. Oh, man, I love that. I love that. Um, you have a pact with your mom, or you did growing up, that I, yeah. I think is, um, I'm going to imagine, is, is part of the cornerstone of your success, which is, if you're going to do anything, be the best, uh, which is certainly my obsession. Tell me about that. Uh, that's In terms of things that I say that, that piss people off, that is one of them. When I talk about competing, not just with yourself, but like to actually be the best. Um, how has that served you? Why Why did you make that pact with your mom? So, so for context, so my, my father dies. I'm 13 years old. My father gets gunned down. And um, my dad was like the, uh, he was the main income earner in the house. So that immediately affected our, um, how do I say? It just, it affected us, right? And um, we, so the past of South Africa is we'd come from apartheid, and um, Nelson Mandela becomes the president, the country gets democratized, and then those of us, myself included, black people, have a world of opportunities now opened up to us that we hadn't had previously. And one of those was the ability to go to school that had white kids in them, because that wasn't allowed, right? 
And one of the things the government had done is it had given a far better quality of education at the white schools, and they had like this terrible level of education at the black schools because they wanted a black majority that was not educated. So it would work in the factories to create cheap labor, right? Anyway, so all of a sudden, we can all go to these white schools now, certainly if your parents can afford it. And um, dad's still alive. I get into the white school because mom and dad can kind of afford it. Dad passes away. We can't, we can't afford it now. So mom and I are sitting having the conversation. Like, so, you know, what are we going to do? And my mom said to me, she said, look, I will raise hell if they kick you out of the school. But you got to meet me halfway. She said, your part is you got to make sure that you give me sufficient grades that when I go into the principal's office, it's not even a debate. So I was like, okay, that's doable. And she said, no, but not just that. She said, everything you do, you've got to be number one. And there was a reason for that too. So when we were doing extracurricular activities, you had to, you have to like buy the kit. You can imagine if you play baseball, you can't just show up in jeans, right? There's a kit to wear. And I'm coming from a household, single mother, five kids. There is no money for the kit. So my mom went, if you are going to do it, make sure that you're number one at it. Otherwise, you're literally taking food away from the table. This is money we could spend buying food. And you said, Vusi, you want to play the violin, which I do. I'm going to buy you the violin. But recognize that that's, that means no meat for the next three months now, right? You say you want to do karate? Absolutely. Oh, now recognize that if I buy you a gi, that means no bread for the next week, right? So there was always this very real real life sacrifice it wasn't just you know so when the other kids are showing up to just do the extra uh, curricular activity i'm like hang on i've got to suck every single second out of this because you know this is we've sacrificed a lot for this so that was my pack mom and i you do it number one i can't tell you how many times if i came number two it became a discussion for the whole fucking week, man. Like, God, I heard you. I came number two. It was a mistake. She says, nah, you came number two at the public speaking thing. You better make sure you're coming number one at the next one, right? So, you know, my mom would be at work. She'd come home, and I'm in the in the room studying. And she's like, have you done your kata? Yeah, mom, I've done my kata. All right, how many hours are you putting into the study? Oh, I've got one more hour to go. All right, when you go, are you doing your public speaking thing? Cool. Oh, and by the way, have you done your chores? Have you washed the dishes? Have you ironed your shirt? Have you polished your shoes? So it was just like this like narrow focus on small, minor tasks, but it was always such a meticulous focus. So my mom wasn't polish your shoes. It was other put other shoes shining. It wasn't just iron your shirt. It was make sure that it's crisp and the collar is nicely ironed in. So I learned this amazing thing about detail. It's like, and love the process, man. You're writing a 60-page business plan. Enjoy page four. Like you're going to get to page 65 right? or page 55. Just enjoy page four. You're building a business. Enjoy month one. You'll get to year five, but just enjoy month one, right? Um, that pact changed my life. By the way, she still does it to me today. If I lose something or now I don't even tell her. It's just like, you know, just don't tell me because I'm going to tell you about it. Do you resent your mom at all? Because I, I think when I hear that story, it fills me with so much joy and excitement. Uh, but I think a lot of people will hear that and think that it sounds tyrannical or cruel. Um, so what what is your emotional relationship like with your mom? Remember, though, that her approach is um, her approach is a mental and an institutional reverence for my skill. It's not a reprimand. It's a big difference. So she's not saying you're not competent. She's saying, do you know how competent you are? 
why are you only this? Does that make sense? Oh, yes. It's a big difference. Somebody going, well, you got 90, you suck. And somebody going, you got 90, but you're capable of a 95. Where's the other 5%? Right? Okay. Well, here are the things you need to do. Get me the other 5%. So then it's a, it's a, it's a, oh, you believe in me. Oh, wow. Like, oh, wow, that's cool. Right? So i got to tell my venture firm, we just won the 2020 best impact investment firm in Africa. Congratulations. Huge deal. I know, like 55 different countries. And, and I'm just like, wait, what? <laughs> I remember when I first got into the space eight, nine years ago, first as an angel investor, again, conversation, right? People were going, aren't you that speaker guy? Why are you doing deals? Why are you investing in stuff? Why are you, you shouldn't even be in this room. And then, you know, and then all of a sudden you start talking about shareholders agreements and term sheets and people go, oh, okay, so you understand a bit of the lingo now. Oh, okay, but aren't you that speaker guy? Yeah, because there's a frame and you put me in that frame, right? The only way out of that was me constantly reminding myself that if I don't win at whatever I'm doing next, I'm going to have to have a hell of a conversation with my mom. So this year when we win the award, I went, I went to mom and I was like, check this out, mom. You know, now I'm number one in the continent, right? So it's a, I think it's an incredible gift to have somebody that believes in you, especially when you don't believe in yourself. Yeah, church on that one, man. Tell me about Mandela. I know you met him a few times. Um, yeah. What What was he like? It, like when you're right there with him. Man. Whew. There are some people who have the ability to bend the laws of physics. Now, I don't mean that thematically. I mean literally bend the laws of physics, right? Nelson Mandela had this most incredible ability. If you walked into the room, the temperature changed by three degrees Celsius. It just dropped. Your skin all of a sudden, you know, like just broke out into like chicken skin and you were just like, oh my, what was going on? And you could feel the hairs at the back of your, of your neck stand up. So I'm 17. I've just won the world championship in public speaking. We get a letter from the foundation inviting me to go and meet him. So I get to the office, right? And his assistant comes to meet me in reception, takes me to his study. And she offers me something to drink. And my mother said, if you get there and they offer you something to drink, ask them for tea, not coffee. I was like, well, that's odd. So I was like, why? She said, well, because tea is high tea. Coffee is common. Tea is for the bourgeois people. I was like, oh, okay, cool, ma. So I get there and she asks me for something to drink and I, I ask her for some tea. She brings me this tea and I'm sitting to drink my cup, right? But every time I pick it up and tilt it, my hand is shaking. So it spills a little bit on the saucer. Man, I put the cup down, and every time I pick up the cup, it keeps spilling and then spilling on my shirt. I'm like, well, this doesn't work. So I stopped picking the cup up, and I started leaning in to, like, drinking. And I'm hoping he doesn't walk in whilst I'm, like, leaning in like a kid trying to steal, you know, milk from the fridge or something. That's like I'm hoping. So I'm sitting drinking, and then I heard a, where is he? I was like, oh, my God. And my skin starts to I'm like, oh, man, that's him, that's him. And he walks to the study. He opens the door. He takes two steps forward, Tom. Opens up his arms like this and he says, my son, come here. And um, nobody had called me my son since the death of my father. So I can feel like these tears are just about to start running down my throat, my, my eyes. I jump up, give him a big hug, and we sit down. I'm a fairly big guy. I'm 6'2". 
I weigh 108 kilograms. I'm not sure what that is in pounds, right? So I'm a fairly big guy. I can hold my own, right? But next to him, I was a dwarf because he was like 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, I'm a size. I'm a size 11 shoe. He was a size 14. Whoa. He was a tank. Yeah, like most people actually don't talk about this side of Nelson Mandela. He was a physical giant, right? So we're sitting down and we're chatting, and all I'm doing is I'm just asking questions, asking questions, asking questions, and we get to like 55 minutes into what is an hour meeting, and he looks at me and he says, "You know, they said uh, you're a speaker," and I said, "Yebodada." Uh, which is a Tosa word for granddad. And he goes, but man, you have not spoken. <laughs> so, so, you know, your question was, so how was he? Um, he had this incredible ability to make you feel welcome. But you always knew that you were in the company of greatness. I've met him twice and both times. You just always knew you were in the company of greatness. There was just no doubt in your mind about it. But for me, what came out of that meeting was I remember I, he said, I, I said to him, I said to him, so what's your dream for like mankind? What's your dream for humanity? Right? Towards the end of the meeting. And he looks at me and he says, What we need is a little bit of faith. So I was like, faith? Such a strange thing to say. I was like, what 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 is faith? I asked him, like, what's faith? And he said, Faith is the ability to see the invisible, believe in the impossible, and trust in the unknown. So I was just like, wow, gobsmacked. And it's only as I've grown older that I realize what he was actually saying, which is it's the ability to make manifest that which is not yet. And I think a lot of us are living in a world today where unless we can see it, touch it, or feel it, we don't believe it to be. And we forget that everything you can see, touch, taste, was imagined by someone, created by someone who had to have faith that it would find resonance with mankind. I think it's, we have a duty today to understand the power of what that means. Man, you just give me the chills again. Yeah, that, what he did and represents is so extraordinary. I heard you say something that I found really interesting. So you said, given what Mandela had done for us, it's given us this belief in that there's someone coming to save us. And you said there, there is no Messiah. Nobody's coming to yeah. save you, um, yeah. and we have to do it ourselves. Talk to me a little bit about that. I think that that's powerful. There's, there's both that like I have that same pull towards somebody like Mandela, where you know you just want that big bear hug from somebody who really seems to have shit figured out. Um, yeah. And then the fact that I have to save myself. So. So I think it's you know it's part of the course of the universe that once in a couple of generations, a Nelson Mandela is born, right? I mean, it's, you know, Nelson Mandela, MLK, um, these incredible people who step up. But one of the things you learn as you study their history is that they were human. They had hopes and dreams just like you and I. They had doubts too, right? And the minute you figure that out, you then understand that actually nothing separates them from you, but for the fact that you're waiting for someone like them to show up. And so the question I always ask is, so if we're all waiting for the Messiah, who is it? Because we can't all wait. Somebody has to step up. And then the recognition that actually, if you read history, um, communities 
generally say it themselves, right? There's no single person that does it. So we talk about Nelson Mandela, but the truth is Nelson Mandela led a collective of people who fought for the liberation of my country, right? He was, he was the halo, right, that was evangelized so we could create a single narrative about freeing black people in South Africa. But actually there were millions like him who made others even an ultimate sacrifice with their lives, right? And so when you, once you start realizing that, you go, oh, but hold on. This was actually a collective effort, which means you and me have a duty to become a part of the collective effort of whatever freedom that we're seeking. So if you're waiting for someone to save you, you're it. You are the savior. You are, and, it, and by the way, you don't have to have it figured out. So, you know, most people go, well, let me figure it out first, right? It's what I call the MBA approach. Let me go to school, get an MBA, then I'll start a business. No, just as you go, you will figure it out. And you've got to trust the universe. It'll meet you halfway. It'll teach you what you need to learn. It'll bring into your world an intersection of people, knowledge, spaces, where you can grow your own competence and ability. You don't have to be ready for where you're going. You just have to be ready for what's next. And, and the universe will meet you halfway. And that's what I mean by there's no Messiah. We all kind of go, well, we need the perfect person so we can create the perfect future. But what you're learning is there is no perfect person for the perfect future. There's the person who's just working on next step. And that's all it is, just next step. The Wright brothers only figured out the next step. Steve Jobs only figured out the next step. So once you get that right, you go, oh, okay. So I actually don't need the perfect person to come and save me. I can do it myself. Brother, I love the way you think, man. I love it. Where can people find out more about you? I think they need to, to spend time with you and your ideas. So love, man. At Vusi. Okay, I'm tuned in. Hey people, this is Missy Pelele K, good man on Just Sharing Podcast. Uh, so the song that I was playing on the background before I started talking, it's She's Mine by J. Cole. Uh, it's a nice and smooth songs, uh, like song that has a concrete message on it that's talking about the Black Friday, that it's just a, uh, a money-eating thing. That's just wasting money uh, about love, about the lack of love in people, uh, about why these big retails loot so many rights from the customers. But I won't dwell in it, but he, he does address it actually as he, as he like rap in this song, as he sings at the same time in this song. So it's a very, very, very nice song with a good message. I'm all about songs with good message that will build me so yeah 
it's a nice song actually so you can go to my facebook page which is broadcasting to find some of the episodes that i've done before so i've got few episodes on it but uh, i'll just keep on updating each and every time when i have i have something to talk about sometimes it's just that i have things to talk about it's just that i don't have the time to talk about them so i choose to or i'm not in a good space so i choose to just write them down as posts and then after all i, I can do them late maybe so you go to my page search broadcasting if you're not my friend on facebook because i'm you will find me more on facebook so if you don't find the broadcasting page just make sure that you go to my personal account search for sepelele kayengo goodman and then i'm pretty sure in my timeline you will find something that will lead you to a post that will lead you to that will link you to broadcasting you will find a post there and then if you start uh getting an access to that post and then you will get the whole access to the all content of mine so i've also got my link uh on my bio so you can also tap there and then it will take you straight to my episodes that i've got actually that one is an intro of like uh just sharing podcast oh by the way if i didn't tell you this is just sharing podcast i share each and every info about business uh from business to what's happening in the township actually business wise uh what are young what are the young people uh doing out there my peers actually because i'm also young i've just started my own podcast it's not doing well people i don't want to lie it's not but i'll keep on uh, posting each and every time because when i came across a post yesterday that said if you're busy crafting something whether it's art whether it's music whether it's video editing whether it's dancing and then you upload it in those social media platforms getting one like getting one reaction uh not getting any of these likes doesn't mean that you're great so keep on uploading the work that you do just keep on uploading 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 one day you will find those direct direct audience that you have been looking for for all these years but what matters is the work that you put in so that's what inspired me to like keep on continuing because i'm one of those people who don't get many likes i'm even struggling to get uh likes in my page but i've done a lot of work uploading my work people have been like looking at my work and then they go straight to my page and they like it uh and then i've got like 325 likes i think i think so i've got 325 likes i've got i i i got that 21 from like posting all over those groups that are based in like business topics business discussions so i advise you also if you want a big following if you're doing something just keep on putting your talent out there risk all what you have to just get recognition to just get your art out there don't be don't be intimidated by those who've made it also just learn from those who've who've made it also so yesterday i was in the bus uh heading home actually so i was like trying to share with this dude exactly like uh the freedom that we have that's better than the 
one our forefathers have done the one our uh, foremothers had so I was telling him that uh, it, I was like actually sharing with this guy that was sitting next to me so telling him that hey man uh, if you only knew that we we have a lot of opportunities as a youth like we can create nothing to something like you can see the young boys uh, creating jobs by washing cars you can see there's people building side shacks to make a complete shack so you bite you buy side shacks uh, that are made out of zinc and planks and all that stuff and then you would find that they buy it at a cheaper price when they buy the whole uh, planks the whole zincs in a bulk maybe and then they they were able to even price it to like price you a, a one shack for like five thousand they making money out of it uh, and people need 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 properties people need places to stay in people need uh, free spaces where they can spend their time so as we, we are having this uh, nice conversation with this guy like nice conversation sorry for that <laughs> thinking about money now uh, and and the employees were like con conversation is it conversation fund or what no it's a conversation actually so we were having this conversation me and this guy uh, so I was sharing to him that hey man if you you only knew that we've got like uh, a huge space to create opportunities out there you can see even like our neighboring countries like our neighboring brothers also coming to South Africa like doing business and not complaining with the next uh, business person that oh you're also selling the stuff that I sell you, you you're blocking you you're blocking money from coming to this direction so you sell the same stuff you don't see them do doing that because they understood that business is all about competition so if I see the opportunity that no I can provide the service better than you I can make it cheaper I can make it reliable so I have to be there I have to be there as a business person because I'm bringing something new to the game we have to understand that that nobody's taking your job it's just that understanding that business is competition so as I shared with this guy there was another guy who was like sitting in front of me who was like uh, it's not that I'm laughing at him it's just that I just understood that economic economic power or money is something that it's attached to our emotions it's not just money it's not just money I understand people when they start to cry when they lose money I understand people when they don't want to help others just because of what they've encountered before like from helping out people with their money so I understand those people I understand them so this dude was like after I've said all this stuff I was like because I told this guy that okay uh, you see the economic power that we're fighting for uh, it's still a long way to 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 go it's still going to be a struggle to finally get it or to finally what can i say build it actually as a structure that it's continuous that uh that each and every generation will be able to get into it and then drive it and then the other generation also get into it and drive it so we still got to figure that system out how are we going to run with it like uh, relay athletes do 
see passing the the, the wealth uh, like they did back in the days like our forefathers did with cows what they did was excellent I don't want to lie was excellent because the wealth was being uh, given to the next generation and the next generation will pass it to the next generation so it was a magnificent thing for them to discover it back in those days but they did it with what they had so that w that's what's so special about them we can't compare them with the economy of today no they did buttering now we talk about capital we talk about uh, transactions we, there's a lot of stuff that we talk about that they would be confused if we, we could like introduce uh, introduce it to them so as I was telling this guy I was sharing with this guy that okay I've got more opportunities as youth of today than the people uh, back in 90s or back in the apartheid system that we're living in an apartheid system so as I, I I spoke to this guy and then this guy was like okay man oh before he said this I was telling this guy that uh, the stock fell that we have formed since we were talking about having goals when you save so I said there's many people who've joined stock fells and many stock fells have been there before than APSA is so I just I, I told him that uh, APSA and the Stockfell is the same thing. Banks are the same thing as as Stockfell, but they just have the 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 right or the lead to lend money to the people. So what they did is you borrow money, I add an interest, and then I give it to the next person. The next person borrows a money, I add an interest. So out of that interest, I'm making money. Same as the stock fell. We invest money, we get the interest. We It's either we invest it or we give it out to the people of the stock fell, which is uh, the same thing. But it's just that thinking big is the thing that's uh, that people are not getting. So seeing the bigger picture is what the people are lacking in actually when they're doing those stock fells. So you get to invest some money and then make sure that you've got an end goal whether it's a business that's going to be generating more money than the one that you're getting from the stock fell so that you can make sure that the money runs and it uh it it adds value also it like uh it it plays a lot of role in the economic uh part so it you gotta make sure that it makes more money for you you don't you don't just invest and then take the money from the stock fail and then waste it and then invest again and no you i'm pretty sure that your income won't increase at all or your your wealth won't increase actually because uh wealth actually i cannot use the word wealth because wealth is uh, a long overdue thing it's it's accumulated uh, within a time of space, a long time of space. You don't just accumulate it in like few days or few months. Now it's a decade thing. It's a century thing. It's it's something that has a lot of weight on it. So you don't just. So as I was telling that guy, uh, exactly that, and then this, this next guy was like, you know, man so i'll argue with you in this point that we are not free 
we are not free. He started asking me about how many products do you see in Showbrite that are owned by black people. Uh, but what I noticed is that uh, saying something for your own from your own general knowledge makes you lack the knowledge that you were supposed to get that it's uh, powerful that will make you a better person also uh, and that will grow you actually so I just want to read some of these products that are created by black people I'm not saying that why are we not creating our fetters first to sell these products or why are we not pushing the same thing that Herbal Life is doing as a big business because they they are a big business already but they are giving the opportunities to the people on the streets to sell their products to market their product why are these business owners not doing it yes we know that we're not free yes we know that the economic power is not on us but what about the chance that we have why don't we use it so these are beauty health and hair products produced by black people actually that are owned by black people so it's poshia m skin solutions it's black like me it's marble tribe native child uh yours beauty switch beauty chic cosmetic fee beauty faith Kenzi morning tea and powder mashabela ah uh, kito kitoko skin care there's so many i can go down let me just go to other also industries there's uh, a shoe industry there's batu sneaker there's rich nisi there's skinny smooth socks s triple s sock there's mama kia there's uh so say so say ho this yeah the it's so shoes it's my it's nn vintage it's tulani cindy it's trip sneakers it's david david there's just so many many industries that we're in it's just that we're not we're not taking the power back it's not easy i know that you're not given you're not given the chance to advertise your own stuff in the tv but what about the opportunity that you have now why don't you use it in beverages we've got, we've got more fire we've got that's that's produced by dj's we've got sinle brew brew coffee the guy who produces coffee this bonang champagne which is bng champagne bonang there's morage gin vodka uh mashabela there's local vodka there's local vodka there's gologo spring man there's just so many people who just produce i know that why people have dominated the industry yes we cannot do anything about it yeah they they've dominated it's not that we cannot do anything about it why but why don't we act on what we have already and not fight anything about it because 
fighting our own products and saying that no we won't make it we just won't make it because because uh, uh there's people who are producing it already so let's just not support them because let's keep on uh, like buying we're trying to just satisfy our own like internal dialogue that we have been having that oh black is less and then white is better so uh, i just wanted to share that people i just wanted to share that to the youth out there that they should know that we've got the best 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 opportunities out there we have to create out of the opportunities that we have no one will create for us we got to create no one will create for us let's stop being emotional i know that it's hard people it's really hard but people out there if you want to survive just start out of nothing you don't have the other choice you got to start out of out of nothing to something you will move slowly i know that but as long as you're moving that's what makes you powerful as long as you've got the guts to start something you are moving that's powerful enough thank you all people it's me sepelele k goodman i'm just sharing podcast you can go on my page which is broadcasting or you can go to my account which is my personal account on facebook uh and look for a post that's written broadcasting by the time you reach that just click on it it will take you straight to the page where you'll find most of my content most of my posts are there if you wanna uh, hook me up on whatsapp to advise me with anything to encourage me on anything to criticize me on anything to make me a better uh, podcast producer actually you can go to my whatsapp number which is 064-833-1295 064-833-1295 just enjoy this song by j cole and drake morning
Afternoon, y'all people. It's Mr. Pelele K. Goodman on Just Sharing Podcast. And today it's Monday. Uh, I was supposed to like uh, record this show in the morning, but I, I couldn't at home because uh, there's just a lot of distractions. So uh, you can get some of my content on broadcasting on Facebook, which is a uh, business-based uh, podcast. And the page is also like, it also consists of like, uh, uh, content that's business-based, which is focusing on uh, township economy, Ikasi economy, actually, as we would say in Kasi. So it's mainly uh, uh, getting the young ones to be exposed out there in the market, to be known in the market, also uh, to build customers uh, around Ikasi also without even going uh, out there to the perfect market, they can only make profits in the imperfect market so that they can change it in future and make it the perfect market. So uh, yeah, it's mainly focusing on that and like exposing the youth. So this morning I just, uh, I just wanna, uh, this morning actually, I had like a news that I wanted to share also with you. Uh, So I did like, record a couple of times I did uh, like it was 2 a.m. when I did it but it was not clear enough so I I thought I would find a clear space um, a space that I would record and then I would get the uh, the quality sound that I, I, I wanted to upload actually on my page uh, so what I've recognized is that uh, dreams never go away actually they don't go away because I woke up at 2 o'clock I wanted to record exactly what I was dreaming actually at the time so at the time I was dreaming of like, uh, I felt like uh, I'm slipping away from my dreams. I felt like I'm no longer uh, focusing on them. I felt like ish, uh, my age is starting to take over. But I, I started thinking about it like uh, my age didn't matter because I'm still a young man. I st- I'm still got, got to, to take a lot of chances. I still got to do those mistakes. So as I looked uh, like through it, that I still had more chance than any other uh, person who's also striving, who wants to make a success in business. So I felt like, no, let me just uh, go through YouTube and watch videos that are inspiring. So what I got out of YouTube videos is an inspiration that you got to keep on dreaming, got to take those risks, continue taking those risks. Uh, Know that goals don't go away, goals don't slip away. So I've got this one example from Denzel Washington, the guy who was preparing a speech for some uh, graduates in uh, Harvard University. So he stated in his uh, example, he said, uh, you've got ghosts of the dreams that you didn't attend while you were growing up each and every time they are sitting around your your bed asking you at night why didn't you bring me to life why did you uh, always uh, left me in that box as a ghost why don't you uh, give me life why don't you bring me into existence so uh, it's kind of like what happened to me yesterday because I just woke up in in the middle of the night like at 2 a.m. who who gets to wake up at that time and then think of his dream actually so I was like hey I got to uh, make sure that I I adhere to all the dreams that I have actually and all the goals that I want to reach and and 
actually bring the vision that I have to life also because my main purpose, I want to be a social uh, entrepreneur that's helping out the community, that's not expecting any income from it, rather than seeing the income through the community, through the development, through everyone, changing their lives, just working with the people, just uh, not determining people by their education to acquire such uh, info or determining them by the status that they hold in the community but just being a human being and willing to work hard so i i just want to really work with the community so uh me and my friend for, from site b also working on that on like uh studying in a, a garden from a local school so we're still working on that but uh it seems like the legislation of like uh covid 19 they are holding us back but we're willing to to strive. We're willing to strive. We're willing to to to, to make terms and conditions with the uh, principal, with the head of the school, with the board of the school. Also, uh, it's not it's it's not easy really conquering your your dreams. It's easy to state them. It's easy to write them down. But when it's time to act on them, it's actually the 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 the, the serious part. It's where you get to to sweat for it. It's where you get to experience that. A, it's hard actually to execute a plan. So I was also like thinking of those kind of ways on how I can like implement uh, a strategy that will help me to execute my ideas because. I'm easy on like thinking of ideas, writing them down, but when it's time to act on them, that's that's where my weakness point is. But I've told myself uh, one of the parts that's going to form this strategy, it's going to be teamwork. So teamwork helps a lot. Uh, many many businesses that are out there that we know they didn't uh, they they were not built by a one a CEO who studied it from stretch maybe with his savings there were also like uh, the, there was a team who were working on them actually it was not uh, a one-man game thing they were all working in like to, to, to build up this product or to bring up this service and make it uh, a success so uh, our team uh, I would say is the way to go actually so I kind of like struggle in that in like executing all the goals that I have so I was thinking about it this morning so I I did want to upload the podcast but I felt like no it was not a good quality to upload it I felt like okay maybe in the meantime when I find a clear space that's where I'm going to like uh, upload the podcast and then I'm going to get the quality out of it so yeah you can hook me up on my page also which is broadcasting on Facebook you can get some of the content that's business based you can also uh, hook me up on WhatsApp on 064-833-1295 064-833-1295 you can also go on my email which is nanise sipelel with the L at the end uh, uh, at gmail.com and then you can uh, hook me up there if you want an interview, if you want to join the show, if you want to add value on the show with anything, with the criticism, they're welcome. They, everything is welcome. Uh, it's just that I want to uh, build this. I really want to build this for the youth. I just want to make sure that each and every hustler who's, the, who's out there in the township, who's hustling, who's either who's selling products for Inuka, selling products for, uh, what is this? What is this company? Uh, okay, 
it's just going to sound authentic. I'm not going to edit it and all the the, 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 the words that I've been struggling to put them out, they're just going to go out with the uploading. So uh, the Herbal Lives products also, uh, your, your Afro base, they need to be exposed out there to the, to the, uh, to the imperfect market and also reaching out to the uh, perfect market, they will need to start from the imperfect market, which is uh, selling agassi, which is going out there, which is standing on the streets and making sure that the product is being is being bought. That's how you're going to make a startup capital to move to another point. It's it's what exactly people don't understand. Also, that you don't need an investor, you don't need a capital from uh, when you want to start a small business. Let me just put it like that. When you want to start a small business, you don't need a capital. For example, if you want to start a spaza shop, you don't need you don't need any capital from anyone. You just got to start with what you have. And I've implemented many of those. I've, uh, I've done it. I've also uploaded videos of me selling score uh, in the streets of Kailich. I've done that. I've done that. You can make money from it. You just got to believe that selling is the way to make up startup capital. So, yeah, I just, I just really want to expose the young people uh, that they are capable, they are talented, it's just that they are not given the chance to, to expose their talent, to expose the skills that they've got. So uh, I also feel like uh, teaching them on how to work as a team on the, oh, in like tender age that could help them also to kind of like know when they are in the corporate world that this is how we work as a team or in each and every space that needs uh, people to work in teams so yeah that was the news of the day people just understand that dreams and goals and your vision do not go away they are the ghosts that follow you through the night you can like dream about it they can wake you up at night and you'll be feeling like yeah I'm failing myself but you, you're not actually failing yourself it's just that the difficulties that we we tend to face whether it's financially or it's it's just bringing out ideas or execution okay we're back on air again it's still Mr. Pelele K Goodman on Just Sharing Podcast don't forget to go on my Facebook page and follow the, the page which is broadcasting it's it's a business based uh, page that's uh, only focusing on youth it's focusing on like Kasi economy it's focusing on township economies so yeah thank you all for listening to me ciao